You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Amen, church. Gather your hearts together and let's pray to our God. You are worthy, Lord. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and majesty. For you created all things and by your will and hand they exist. Father, allow us to understand that we exist in that category today. You created us by your will and word. We continue to exist. And Lord, let us know and understand that we exist for the exaltation of the name of Jesus Christ above any other thing. Teach us today and inspire us to worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, why don't you take your seat? My name is Jason Locke. I usually get to open God's Word uh, on Tuesday nights in youth ministry. But uh, today I get to open it up with you to Psalm chapter 24. So if you've earmarked or put that flyleaf in Psalm 23, as Pastor Paul has been preaching there, just turn to 23 and then maybe go one page over or just a little bit down. We're not going too far. Uh, my wife and I have been reading through uh, the book of Genesis in our devotions recently. And we noticed something very interesting um, at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 6. Um, Genesis chapter 4 verse 26 is a pretty encouraging verse. Um, God created the universe and then in 3 there was the, the fall of man um, and the curse of our sin. But soon after that, uh, chapter 4 says this. Verse 26, at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. Sounds great. Chapter 5 passes, and Genesis 6-5 has a striking contrast. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a big change from calling on the name of the Lord to I guess they started to ignore God, then likely doing what's right in their own eyes to every thought, only evil, always. And maybe uh, you're like me, you're wondering, how how is there such a big change in that? What happened in chapter 5? Well, if you've read chapter 5 and you know the beginning of Genesis, chapter 5 is just a genealogy. That's it. The only thing that happens from calling on God to only evil continually is time passes. Seven generations of time passes. And the last generation was doing only evil continually. And maybe like me, you've looked at our culture, especially having just gone past the events of last weekend, and you're starting to see a similar pattern where we are only doing what is right in our own eyes. And to be honest, the church isn't that far behind, is it? But it didn't used to be like that. Uh, This picture on the screen is the Canadian coat of arms. Anyone seen that before? Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty, it's pretty epic, let's say. Um, 
at the bottom, those, those Latin words, um, I'll butcher this, so if you know Latin or whatever, you feel free to correct me afterwards. Um, but it says, Amari Uski Ad Mari, something like that. Um, it's Canada's motto. You've probably heard its English translation before that says, from sea to sea. And this became popularized from sea to sea um, back in the 1870s by a man named Reverend uh, George Monroe Grant. Reverend Grant was a Presbyterian preacher in Nova Scotia, and before 1867, when we became a nation, he was very adamant um, about encouraging the Nova Scotians, who actually were kind of opposed to the Dominion of Canada. He was encouraging them to get on the side of the Dominion. And he actually made a trip with another man from sea to sea to try and spur on unity. And he ripped this motto from sea to sea, straight from the word of God. Psalm 72, 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And it was really successful. In the 1870s, helped unite our country together and in 1921 became the official motto of Canada. But church, how did our nation get from 1870 to 2014 being united together by the word of God to doing only what is right in our own eyes. Only time has passed. But truly, we today can be that generation that seeks the face of God. And Psalm 24 is going to show us Six identifying marks of the generation that seeks God. And I hope you would open your heart to say, I want that. We're going to read Psalm 24 together in a unique way. I found out as I studied it, apparently it was actually written first as a conversation. Um, These people are coming to seek God at his temple, and there's a temple priest standing outside. And it's written as a conversation between those who are seeking God and the temple guards. So we're actually going to read it like that together. So don't worry if you didn't get a chance to get up to the mic. Now's your chance to read a passage from Psalms. So your lines will be on the screen. When it says leader, I will read. Congregation, you will read. And at the end, we will all read the last verse. But as we always do, can you stand with me in honor of God and the reading of his word? This is the word of God. It speaks to us today, and it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the, King of glory? the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, 
mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Amen. Let's pray to the Lord again. Father, we confess you are the king of glory. Not just the king, but the king of glory. The king above all other kings. The Lord above all other lords. And I pray, Father, humble us today and put and stir a desire in our hearts that we would be the generation that seeks after you. Teach us, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Six identifying marks of the generation that seeks God. First one, the generation that seeks God will submit to God. The generation that seeks God will submit to God. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So in this conversation between the priest and those who come to worship God, the priest is the first one who calls out. To anyone who would come and approach the temple of God to seek their Lord, he says, the Lord is sovereign creator. Get that, those who would seek him. The Lord is sovereign creator. And it would be understood that as sovereign creator, God has defined All things that he has created, including how we must seek God. You might have heard recently uh, in the news, um, there's a a couple people lobbying that the Ontario government would change the speed limit on the highways from 100 to 120. Anyone else heard that? Yeah, yeah. And on the news... You might have heard the same thing as me when they ask the people for a reason. Why, why do you think we should do that? The, it's usually the same answer. Well, we're going 120 anyways. You know, just, it, right. But um, I dare you, or I would dare those people. Next time you see sirens flashing in your mirror, and they get a tap on your window, and the officer says, why were you going 120? Everyone's doing it anyway. Is it, can it be uh, agreed that our opinion about the law has little bearing on the actual rule of law? Can we agree that? Yeah, then in the same way would it make sense that our opinion about how you think you can seek God's presence matters a little to how God has told us we must seek his presence? We as the church need to stop saying I feel like God and start learning to say God has revealed in his word so I will. Try as hard as you will you will never feel your way into the presence of God. The generation that wants to seek God must submit to God. Second identifying mark the generation that wants to seek God will desire God's presence. The generation that seeks God will desire God's presence. Verse 3. So now, those who have come to seek God, um, they speak to the priest and they ask, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? They want to know, what's going to take for me to get in here? I've come, I want in, what's it going to take? But understand this. 
the presence that we must desire, God's presence is always where God's spirit is. And these people in Psalm 24 who came to see God would have understood this. You see, back in the history of the world, God picked one nation, Israel, to which he said, you will be my people and I will be your God. And he said, I will reveal my presence to you in the city that I choose, the city Jerusalem. And even within Jerusalem, most specifically, I will reveal my presence to you in this specific building that your king, David, will build. And even more specifically than that, within this building that King David's going to build, there's going to be a room within that, which is called the Holy of Holies. But even within that room, you're going to have a bunch of pieces of furniture, but there will be one piece, the golden ark of the covenant, where I will reveal my presence. God's presence is where his spirit is. And now understand, church, we seek the same God today, but God no longer restricts his spirit and his presence to a geographical location. Take heart in this, because the word of God tells us, to whoever has believed in Jesus Christ, they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you are the temple of God where God's presence dwells. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Technology today offers us immediate access to the world around us. I have a good friend named Ryan who lives in North Carolina. And a time ago, if I was going to write to Ryan, the only really way I could send him a letter was if I physically took out a piece of paper and wrote it something down and put it in an envelope with a postage stamp and then sent it in the mail and That would be the only way I could write to him. A time ago, if I was going to speak to Ryan, the only way that I could do it was if I picked up a phone and called the operator and someone in a switchboard in front of them would, on the other end, like unplug this wire and then plug it back in another spot and then then I'd allow, be able to go to North Carolina. I don't know a lot about that. I don't know if I was alive during that, but the internet told me, so... A time ago, if I was going to see Ryan, I would have had to actually take a physical journey to North Carolina, either by plane or train or automobile. But technology has offered us immediate access to the world around us. Today, if I want to write or speak or see Ryan face-to-face, I can use this little thing that's half the size of one slice of bread and do all of those things. But get this church, in the same way that technology offers us immediate access to the world around us, the spirit of God in you offers you immediate access to the presence of the living God. At any time when I open God's word and submit to myself to what it says, 
the Lord himself is speaking with me. Anytime that I would bend a knee and humble my heart and speak back to God, I would again be in his presence. The spirit of God allows this immediate access into the presence of God. The generation that seeks him will desire his presence. You not only have immediate access, God's presence is the highest privilege that you could ever attain or be afforded. The highest privilege. There are a few rare places on and above the earth that limited people have ever been able to find themselves. Few rare places of privilege. One of these is Mount Everest. In, since the first time it was uh, climbed, only a few more than 4,000 people have ever reached the summit of Mount Everest, but many have died. Since the first shuttle mission left our atmosphere towards the moon, only 12 human beings have ever stepped foot on the surface of the moon while the rest billions of us stare at it in space. Even more rare than walking on the moon, there have only been three human beings that have ever made the 10.911 descent in a manned vessel to the deepest part of the ocean. Only three people. These are rare, and these would be privileged, but get this, church. The presence of God is the red carpet of red carpets. The presence of God is the highest privilege that you could ever hope to be afforded. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, For a day in your courts, a day in your courts, is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I would seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to, to inquire in his temple. Do you share this attitude? Could you with confidence in your heart say, if I get before God, I would only ask him one thing, to stay there with him. One thing. But maybe when you hear this, you, you fear. You fear loss. You know it could be possible and you know you want it, but you don't know if you're willing to afford the loss of other things that are precious to you in order to seek God in his presence. Don't be afraid. Don't fear loss. Seek God. To take one step into his throne room is way greater satisfaction that you could ever hope that anything else will afford you. Some of you also might, might doubt well, if I give up, I have to give up all these things. These things give me comfort, these things give me security. If I give them up to seek God, I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if he'll keep me secure. This is my soul we're talking about here. I don't doubt God's promises. He says that he is a shield and a refuge and a mighty fortress to those 
who would seek after him. And friend, please, please, for your own sake, don't be foolish. You might hear this and say, yeah, you know what, you may be right. God's presence might be the greatest thing I could ever get, but I'm still young, and I see my friends doing a lot of things, and I think I want to just taste and see what's over here before I really settle down as an older Christian. Don't be foolish. Friend, you have strong passions, and God gave you those strong passions. Why? Why would you waste your passions chasing after wind and shadows? It will never satisfy you, but Jesus says, you will find your fullness of joy in him. In his presence, there is pleasure forevermore. It's available if you would seek him. Don't be foolish. Don't doubt. Don't fear. We have immediate access to the presence of God and it is the highest privilege and greatest satisfaction we as human beings could ever be afforded. The generation that seeks God desires his presence. The generation that seeks God will also approach God in holiness. The generation that seeks God will approach God in holiness. Turn your eyes to verse 4. So having been asked the priest, um, who's going to get here? How can I get here? The priest gives a response. And he gives us a checklist of three ways. These are the three qualifications for you to approach and enter the holy presence of God. Verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. When they're asking who, who can come, they're really asking who is worthy. If I'm worthy to approach God in holiness, I can't hold on to unconfessed sin. That's what it means to have clean hands and a pure heart. When the Spirit of God convicts you of your sin, the only proper response is to confess that sin. And trying to see God while you're holding on to unconfessed sin, it's kind of like sitting in drenched clothes all day long. It was raining, you get out of your car, you tried to run to the office, but you just got absolutely drenched. And you refused to change your clothes. Well, clothes are really uncomfortable. And you could not get a thing done if you were drenched. The only thing that you could think if you're sitting in wet clothes is, this is really uncomfortable. Same thing if you try to seek God with unconfessed sin. You shouldn't be surprised why you're uncomfortable in church for the past month and a half. You've been convicted, but you're not confessing. Why would you want to sing to God? It shouldn't be surprising why you know you've been lying to your small group members when they ask you if there's something that they can pray for you. You're uncomfortable. You will never have peace seeking God with unconfessed sin in your heart. If I'm going to approach God in holiness, I can't hold on to unconfessed sin, and I can't share my soul. 
what, what he's talking about really here when he says who does not lift up his soul to what is false, he's talking about like, and it's an expression for worship. He's talking about worshiping God. See, if you look just to verse 1 of Psalm 25, it says, to you, O Lord, I lift my soul. We're talking about worship. I can't lift up my soul to what is false. Why? I like that thing. Yeah? Well, God is jealous for his own people, and he doesn't share. He bought you with a price. But you know what? We so often go off to what is false. In the Old Testament, whenever God's people would leave the worship of him for the worship of false idols, he would rebuke them. He would send his prophets to rebuke them. And often, the book of Hosea is much about this, often God uses the same comparison to show you how horrible your false worship is. He compares it to adultery. Tell me. Tell me, how can a husband or a wife be comfortable in their marriage while they're cheating on their spouse? You cannot lift your soul up to what is false and then think that you can also lift it up to the only true living God. You can't lift up your soul to the false adoration of your job or your kids or your education or your social status, or that celebrity, or that sports team. You can't lift your soul up to these empty, false things and then also lift them up to God. You can't light incense to Buddha in the morning and then confess the Shahada, the Muslim confession with your parents in the evening and then be at peace and worthy enough to see God's presence. If I'm to approach God in holiness, I can't share my soul. If I'm going to approach God in holiness, I can't be a hypocrite. It's pretty much what the priest means by say, do not swear deceitfully. So back with the nation of Israel, there were three times that uh, the people were required to make a pilgrimage to Uh, Jerusalem in order to celebrate. Um, There was the Passover, Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. And at these, they were supposed to um, make an oath that they would bring an offering to Jerusalem and then give that offering. Um, And they would actually celebrate there uh, with other people. Think um, biggest potluck ever. Um, But the only requirement was it's free will, but you got to bring something in your hands. You can't come empty-handed. You got to bring something, but bring what you can. Okay. But the hypocrite who swears an oath in Bethlehem and shows up empty-handed in Jerusalem will not be worthy to seek the presence of God. You've seen this whole swear deceitfully thing in the Bible. You probably just didn't know it in another place. Um, their names were Ananias and Sapphira. They saw other people selling all of their possessions and giving the money to the church. And they were like, hey, let's do the same thing, but we'll hold a portion back and, and tell them that it's all of it anyway. Great. That's an amazing idea to lie to God. And they come before the apostle Peter and they said, Peter, 
We sold everything and we have it for you. Please take it. Praise God. And then Peter looks back at them and says, really, that's all of it? Absolutely. Ananias and Sapphira, you have not lied to God, to men, but to God. This isn't a little white lie. God takes this seriously. Those two died on the spot for swearing deceitfully. We have one sacrifice that we are urged to give as followers of Jesus Christ. One sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does God urge you to give? Everything. How? How, Christian, can you willingly thank God for forgiving your sins? How can you call Jesus Savior and not submit to him as Lord or Master? Thanks for forgiving my sins, Jesus, but this thing over here, I'm not going to give that up. I know you gave yourself for me, but I won't give all myself for you. Tell me, how can you label yourself as a Christian? Hear the call week after week to be baptized, yet refuse to identify yourself with your Christ. We have one Lord and Master. Any humble person who's honest with themselves would read this verse and respond with one thing. The qualifications are too high. I am not worthy to seek the presence of God. How can I be worthy when my hands are so stained and when my heart is so broken? Church, don't despair. Don't despair, but depend on grace. The generation that seeks God will depend on his grace and understand this is the cornerstone that holds it all together. This is the linchpin that keeps it all secure. If you don't get this, you lose it all. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. None of us could ever pay back the debt of our sin to God. It is infinite. And because it is so great, your credit rating before God is broken. You could never, we could never think that we could stand before him and ask for anything. We would just be cast out of his presence. But church, where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. The debt was too large, but Jesus Christ paid it in full with the price of his own life. Your credit rating is broken, but if you would repent of your sin and believe that Jesus paid the price for you, Jesus' perfect credit rating will be applied to your account. 
so that in the name of Jesus, friend, you will no longer stand before God as an unworthy sinner. But in the name of Jesus, you will stand debt-free in the righteousness of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and finally, worthy, worthy to again seek the presence of God. It is the only way. The generation that seeks God must depend on grace. But even now, you hear this, some of you, and you're arguing against grace. My debt's not that high. Yo, your debt's that high. I think I have good credit rating. I think I can still do enough good works to to make it back up. Your credit rating's broken. You cannot fix yourself. Okay, well, Jesus asks for my whole life, and I'm not really ready for that, so there's got to be another way. There is no other way. There is no other name. The generation that seeks God must depend on grace. It is our only confidence for forgiveness. It is also our only confidence to be able to seek God. Now, you can have the confidence to actually confess what is unconfessed. You can have the confidence to confess your sin and not feel ashamed of it because Jesus bore your shame on the cross. You can have the confidence to lift your soul up to God alone because you now know that Jesus is the only one true living God. You can have the confidence to finally, after years and decades of faking it as a Christian. Take your mask of hypocrisy off and actually start following Jesus Christ because of grace alone. It is your only confidence. The generation that seeks God will submit to God, will desire his presence, and will approach God in holiness depending on the grace of Christ. It is our only confidence confidence and great guess what for the generation that seeks God in this way they will receive blessing from God the generation that seeks God will receive blessing the priest continues for the one that follows and seeks me in this way he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation (laughs) he will This is a strong promise. What is the blessing that we get from God if it's not God himself? What is the righteousness that you will receive if it's not the perfect credit rating, the righteousness of Christ himself? I'll say it in another way. The blessing of seeking after God is that you will find God. As you would jump into a pool of water and expect to get wet. As you would light a match and expect it to burn. So the one who seeks after God in the way that he's prescribed will find God and receive great blessing. Friends, this confidence is available for you. The people who came to see God in in chapter 24, they had this confidence. Look at verse 6. It says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. 
in the way that it's written, it can be understood that there was a group of people that came to seek God at his temple. And after hearing the qualifications and the confidence that they can receive the blessing, it's kind of like actually one representative stands up on behalf of the group and says, we are that generation. We will seek the face of the God of Jacob. You can have that confidence today. You can have the confidence to stand up amongst your peers before God. To submit to God in the way that he has prescribed. To forsake all else because you desire his presence. You can have that confidence. Stand up and say, we are that generation and I will seek the face of God. You can have that confidence to approach God in holiness depending on the grace of Christ Jesus. And you can say, we are that generation. I will seek the face of God. And you can have the confidence that you will find him. But only now, church, only now do we reach the climax. Everything else has been the crescendo But now we rise to the purpose of purposes, to the reason of reasons. For the generation that seeks after God will worship God. Why else do you think God created you? It's not just to seek God so as to find God, but we seek God to find him so that we might worship him. It's as a mother who lost their child in the grocery store and sought frantically from that child and having found that child embraces them again with love and adoration for their only child. You seek God not merely to find God. This isn't a game. You seek God to find him and with pleasure and satisfaction in your heart to worship him. Many people think that verse 7 to 10 is actually like a parade. It's a parade of the Ark of the Covenant. They think that um, the Ark of the Covenant is finally now entering the gates and returning from a victorious battle. And when it shows up, the people erupt in worship. They cannot contain themselves. How amazing is this? The worshipers have come and said, we will be that generation. We will seek of God. And as they enter, the presence of God himself meets him there. You can plan an event. You can get all the fixings. You can invite all the guests. But boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, the party don't start until the guest of honor shows up. And when God meets us, when you meet God, I promise you, friends, you will not contain the adoration of his name. We were created for worship of his holy name. Lift up your heads, O ancient gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. You know what? He's so awesome. Let's say it again. Lift up your heads, O ancient gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. 
Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Friends, the Lord, the king of glory, is seeking those who would seek after him. Maybe you're familiar with the interaction that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He kind of shows her her sin and need of a Messiah. And she doesn't like it. She's feeling really uncomfortable. So she changes it into this theological discussion. It's like, you say we should worship in Jerusalem. My people say we should worship on this mountain. And Jesus is like, you worship what you don't know, but we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But, but no. Jesus says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Lord is seeking those who will seek after him. They'll seek after him and submit to the way that he is prescribed. They will seek after him forsaking everything to desire his presence. They will seek after him, approaching him in his holiness that depends on grace. And they can have the confidence that when they seek him, they will find him. And in finding God, they will worship God. The Lord is seeking those. Is it you? The Lord is seeking worshipers. Is it you? Will you be of the generation that says, I will seek the face of God? You can have the confidence too today. It's available for all who would come. Believe, church, worship is the anthem of the generation that seeks the face of God. Stand with me and let's pray and we're going to sing to God. Father, you are the king of glory. You are the righteous redeemer. You are glorious in battle. You have the victory. We know that because of Christ Jesus, you have conquered sin and death. And Father, I pray for all who have come today, Lord, that they would depend wholly on your grace. Legs off the ground, arms wrapped around, not on anything else, but depending on grace that they might seek you, Lord God. Father, we thank you that you've provided immediate access by all who would believe and walk by the Spirit. We thank you that it is a greater privilege and satisfaction than anything else the world could promise us. And God, I pray that our church would be that generation, that we would pay the price and that we would seek you. We believe your promises are true and we trust you will act upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.